Welcome to Lagrange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science, technology, and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia, through a youth organisation with members aged 15 to 25, whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode of Lagrange Point, we have Ricardo, hey guys, and myself, Justin. In today's episode of Lagrange Point, we look at mosh pits and how we use it to model panic. We'll use the golden ratio to determine if you are beautiful. How we give robots marauders map. And we'll look at using maths to predict winners in sports and politics. We're going to kick off with our launchpad news section. On our first news story of today, we're going to look at something that's close to every hardcore heavy metal fan's heart, and that is mosh pits. Now, funnily enough, mosh pits have a very interesting connection to some really nice mathematics. What do you mean there, Justin? How, how, how is me going to a concert and dancing in the mosh pit related to mathematics? Well, a lot of people wonder about this thing, and one, one heavy metal enthusiast and uh, physics graduate, Jesse Silverberg at Cornell University, went along to a mosh pit with his girlfriend, but instead of diving in, bashing his head, raving really hard, he sat there and watched the people in the pit and realise that they're all moving with a collective motion that's like particles in particle physics. And you think, well, hang on a second. We could use this type of analysis of collective motion and represent crowds in a whole variety of situations, whether that be mosh pits, crowds in a public space, or crowds in stressful and panic situations where they're going everywhere. And this has a lot of applications for public safety, building better cities, and understanding ways to help in evacuations. Okay, Justin, see, I, I get the point. Um, when I go to concerts, I love looking at everyone jump around and stuff. That's one of the highlights of being a concert, is that atmosphere. But when they looked at the simulation, they actually created two of these uh, mobile active simulated humanoids, or... Mashes. Mashes, exactly. So they had two, they had two uh, types of mashes. Uh, one that was active, that would move around with a tendency to follow their neighbours, um, and these passive mashes, uh, who tended to remain a bit more stationary. Um, they found that when they put them together, um, random collisions dominated the tendency to flock. So what, what, what's, what's flocking? Well, that's a good question, Justin. Uh, flocking is um, it's what happens with particles, or in this case, humans. They tend to follow each other. So when you have this environment, you have, if the active and the passive types of mashes or actors in this type of environment start to follow each other after random interactions and collisions. So how does this all relate then to real life, aside from mosh pit? How do we use these models to help us improve uh, the things in our life? Well, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. So there's the phenomena where there's a lot of people and they're all uh, following each other around. So this can be applied to a wide range of things. So if you're at the footy on a Friday night at the MCG and you want to know, the management system wants to know, how are people going to exit or enter the venue? I mean, up to 100,000 people trying to enter or leave a building at one time. Justin, that's a huge task to accomplish. And let alone if it's in type, some type of emergency where everyone will be rushing not sure what's going on, and it can be very dangerous. In fact, it's a very sad occurrence where people die at stadiums in these crushes. And you can only look at very ones that happened recently in Asia and Egypt, as well as one in a very famous one in Liverpool. And that's right. And looking beyond this sort of concert or attendance sort of situation, traffic as well. You want to know what's going to happen here. Um, You want to know what the sort of behaviour will be if one car tries to go into a lane that opens up. So this sort of simulation idea is a powerful notion and it gives you a lot of information about how the behavior of the system and how best to implement strategies with that knowledge. So one of the really funny parts about MASH and uh, and mosh pitters is that they behave in a similar way 
to rioters and other public order type scenarios, as opposed to normal human studies, which tend to sort of have other trends which we can model. So the problem with a chaotic, a seemingly chaotic system like an emergency or a riot is that you don't really know what's going to happen next, just like you don't know what's going to happen next in a mosh pit. So using this kind of particle physics model with active and passive components of mashes helps us actually understand this. This is a really cool piece of research from Cornell University in the States and just shows how having a diverse set of interests like heavy metal can help your mathematics career. Okay, Justin, I've got something to get off my chest. Is it not that uh, hideous 80s sweater that you're wearing? No, it's not. Actually, it's that when I get to uh, my TV and I sit down, I want to watch some uh, some good quality programming, I sit there, and then the ads come on. And then I see about 50 different ways to improve your beauty. I have no problem with trying to make yourself uh, more beautiful, or if that's your own sort of endeavour, that's great. But my problem is how there are so many different metrics associated with beauty, Justin. How, I mean, How do you measure beauty? Well, I mean, the TV seems to have all the answers. I mean, you can have 20% uh, longer lashes, you can uh, have some sort of... Volume boost to your hair. That's right, and even uh, the shades of your teeth can be measured to a metric. To a brightness level. That's right. So if, if, if you buy my product, you will be 30% uh, brighter in the teeth area. But, Justin, I want to know, how does this relate to beauty, you know? So, and that gets to a really interesting question. I mean, and this has been asked and pondered throughout the ages, and that is, what is beauty? The problem is, beauty, for as much as we can tell, is an aesthetic decision by individuals. But surely, Justin, in... In an information age, where we have all this data and all this science going on, surely could we not put beauty down to a number? And I'm sure that's what accountants and marketers would love to be able to say. This is the human metric of beauty. And the really interesting thing is that this is not a new phenomenon. Yes, there's, there's been one particular... Uh, one particular notion that has persisted, I suppose, since a, like a very long time ago, Justin. And what is that? That's the golden ratio. So this has been around since classical Greece. And classical Greece, I'm sure we can all appreciate, loved beauty. They really defined the concept of aesthetics and beauty with their statues, with their sculptures and arts. And they, had, and they celebrated that. That's how the Olympics began. And they were really interested in these ideas. And they were also really great mathematicians. And what they loved was geometry, drawing shapes. And we take that for granted as a trivial sort of thing for preschoolers nowadays, but it was actually a very cutting-edge area of research in mathematics back in the day. You mean circles? Circles are important, Justin. Circles and shapes and the ratio of angles. And you've got to remember that when this was coming out, this is all what we take for granted, like 180 degrees in a triangle. It was brand-new cutting-edge research. And they were looking for architectural forms of beauty and how do we relate that to mathematics. And one of the most fascinating ones that kept cropping up as a great solution was the golden ratio. So the golden ratio is an interesting piece of mathematics. And the basis for it is... is so you might have noticed that our TVs and our, and our buildings they all seem to have this kind of weird relationship to each other. They're rectangular. But what's so nice about a rectangle... One of the really cool mathematical things is if you take your rectangle and you basically... You draw a, squ you draw a square on it, so you have a square. And then you add on another length to make it a rectangle. The relationship between the square's height and that rectangle's length forms what's called a golden ratio. And one of the really nice parts about the mathematics behind that is you can actually build an infinite series of golden golden ratios. So if you had a square, draw a rectangle to make a small rectangle on the side of the square to make another rectangle. And what actually follows is the Fibonacci sequence of numbers. Does um, indeed come up with some beautiful, beautiful drawings and some beautiful figures. And, and the architecture feels just right. It's a well-proportioned system. And typically, if you actually were to draw a well-proportioned um, rectangle, 
the shape you will draw is most likely going to be a golden rectangle. And our pieces of A4 paper, for example, are one golden ratio type system. So guys, if, if you can um, find a piece of paper, I suppose, there you go. You can hold the golden ratio in your hand. But, but it, what it appears on buildings, in pictures, and in all other sorts of places. One way to actually have a look, um, and one of the best examples of this golden ratio used in architecture, as Justin mentioned, is actually the Pantheon. And you can have a look um, on the net uh, right as you listen to this podcast and have a look. And it's just visually appealing. And you might ask yourself, okay, why is it? And if you actually look at the side lengths, you will find out that it's got the golden ratio. Another place where it comes up is design of books. As we mentioned before, paper is often done in the golden ratio because it's a nice way to hold. But it also comes up in nature. That's where it gets really, really yeah. interesting. This is this is great. Um, you can actually look at different types of plants um, and different, different types of vegetables, I believe. And things like the pine cone. Even the human DNA and the structuring of that all seems to have golden ratio-based proportions. The funny other part about the golden ratio, it is a nice piece of mathematics. So if you take a Fibonacci sequence, which is taking two numbers, so you've got a sequence of numbers, one and one, and you add those two numbers together, you get two. And then so, you solve the Da Vinci and, code, uh, right? Yeah, if, you, if you then add one and two, the next two numbers together, you get three. You've add two and three together, you get five. And you basically follow that pattern, adding your two previous numbers to get the next one. You follow that pattern for a while, and you put three over 2, for example, you get close to the golden ratio. And if you do 5 over 3, you get closer and closer and closer and closer. So if you continue infinitely, you actually get the golden ratio by ratioing Fibonacci numbers. And that's because it's also connected through geometry to to maths, to other mathematical sequences and series. Okay, so we've talked a lot about nature, and obviously we just talked about architecture. But this, you know, it's still not what I was talking about in the beginning, Justin. I'm talking about beauty... And I'm talking about how is it possible to, in fact, come up with some sort of metric, some sort of mathematical thing to compare, say, someone's face to, Justin? Do you think it's possible? So what they did in the Middle Ages when they were rediscovering ancient Greece, they looked for golden ratio and said, this is fantastic. Let's apply it to people's faces. So they started going, is your face symmetrical? Does your face follow the rules of the golden ratio? So essentially, Justin, let me get a ruler. I'm just going to like measure, measure the proportion. So your eye to your nose or your mouth to your ear. So the position, in the example that we talked about before, we have a square and a rectangle next to each other, um, in, a, in a bigger rectangle. The, the line where those, the square and the rectangle meet, that's where your eyes would be on if your face was a square. You can also do that for your body, right? And you say, well, that's where your, that's the division line between, say, your shoulders and, and the top of your head, or the, or the stomach and the top of the head. And they used all these things to measure people's beauty. If they conformed to the golden ratio, then they were said to be beautiful. And you can go through some interesting examples in the modern world where people try and apply that right now. So I believe a few celebrities have been tested with the golden ratio, Ricardo. I, I do believe that Angelina Jolie actually was one of those uh, celebrities lucky enough to be uh, given the proportions of the golden ratio. And that sort of explains why everyone thinks that she is a beautiful it's, and it's not so much that it's because she matches the golden ratio. It's more that humans, we f- appreciate the aesthetic of that relationship. Yeah, and, and as we are talking about the shapes before, if you had three rectangles lined up, the one that you feel is the most a rectangle... That, I know it's a silly notion, but some rectangles are more rectangles than others. The one that you will most likely pick out is the one that conforms to this ratio. Because it's the one we're most comfortable with, and we see that rep- repeated in nature and, and beauty. So that's one way that the ancient Greeks came up with measuring and mathematizing beauty. And this sort of extended as well, as, as we said, um, in artwork as well. Um, if you're in Paris soon, um, be sure to go through the Louvre, be sure to check out the Mona Lisa. 
which actually was de um, designed by Da Vinci, of course, to have those golden ratios embedded into her face. So artists use this as a method for coming up with aesthetically pleasing structures that will people will seem natural. Now, whether or not that relates to your teeth being brighter and your eyelashes being more voluminous is another story, but it just goes to show that people have been trying for millennia to measure human beauty with numbers. Now, you may disagree that Angelina Jolie is beautiful, and you may disagree that a piece of A4 paper is beautiful, because you may not share that inclination. And that's where beauty becomes really difficult, because it's an aesthetic, personal decision. So you mean we can't just put it down to a science and use all of our models and equations to predict if you're going to be beautiful to someone? No. But we can use statistical correlations to say, well, you're more likely to think that this beautiful. So really what we were saying here is that the golden ratio is one method that a lot of people seem to naturally gravitate towards. It's not the single definition of beauty, but it is one that is statistically popular. Before Find My Friends, there was the Marauders map. And we used that in Harry Potter universe to make sure we avoided those dastardly Slytherins and teachers who were going to send us back to our rooms and deduct points. But robots are now actually using a similar method to the Marauders map to help navigate their environments. A group of researchers out of Carnegie Mellon University in the States are actually building robots to actually follow a similar pattern to the Marauders map, and that is to scan their environment to recognise people so, and objects. So this isn't just holding up something like the Malways, which is a static map. No, no, this is to track the people in your environment. So I see them here now, but now they're moving around and then tracking them through that. So we're talking about real-time tracking here, Justin. Yeah, but only to help the robot navigate its environment. So they're testing this in nursing homes, and it's a great little piece of research that they've done, and the paper that's been titled, uh, published on this is actually titled Harry Potter's Marauder's Map, localising and tracking multiple people of interest. <laughs> that's great. If that, was, if that was a class at university, I would totally enrol in that. And it's a really cool way to use that kind of concept of tracking people and following people in your mapping environment, which is not usually done, to help make robots that can work better and respond to people. So they're using this in a hospital-type environment, so they can help track patients and doctors and make sure that the robot is heading to the right place, moving to the right uh, rooms. And so in a really complicated environment like a hospital with people going here and there and everywhere where nothing is ever static, robots can actually start to function a lot better than they have in the past. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's important because things change. It's not a very ideal place where you say, okay, there's a block there. It's not going to move. It's a dynamic environment, very fast-paced. Things are moving around. You have to know what's going on or else it might end badly. And it also enables you to head towards or head away from people of interest. You might want to move away from a patient who's injured and move towards to the doctor who's trying to help that person. And that way you can uh, make a better decision about your planning decisions and where you go, much like we would if we were in a hospital environment. It's a nice little piece of way to use mathematics plus Harry Potter to help be a smarter robot. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. Today we've talked about looked at the way mathematics helps everyday life from wash pits to the marauder's map. Uh, we found out that the golden ratio doesn't necessarily mean you're beautiful. It's how stats can help you in business and, and your life. life. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information on the young scientists of Australia.